What's up, everybody? This is Roman Gennaro of Empire Sports Talk, and I am back for another episode. Welcome to the National NFL Bye Week, everybody. We are in the in the dreaded week between Conference Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl. This year's Super Bowl, obviously, between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. And so this episode is going to be a little bit more NBA heavy, given that spring training hasn't started yet and the NBA and the NFL is on its bye week. But before we get to that, there are a couple things from the MLB and the NFL that I want to touch on. The first thing, the most surprising move in the in Major League Baseball this week, two weeks ahead of spring training, is that the Milwaukee Brewers traded their star ace, Corbin Burns, to the Baltimore Orioles. And this was a shock to many because Corbin Burns had been talked about in trades for a couple of years. We knew that things were deteriorating somewhat slowly in, in Milwaukee after the the messy arbitration dealings between Corbin Burns and the and, and Milwaukee before last season. But when they went out and signed Reese Hoskins, it seemed like they were gearing up for another division crown in the NL Central. So Corbin Burns was as surprised as any when he got a call from Brewers GM to let him know that he'd been traded to Baltimore. But the news here is that he's going to Baltimore, which is really scary for the American League because this is a guy that won the NL Cy Young in 2021. He he was the NL strikeout leader in 2022. He, he had a bit of a down year in 2023 that was hampered some by injuries, but he's still one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball. And he goes to a Baltimore Orioles team that was that had the best record in the American League with 101 wins, and is and is very young and very exciting and will be in the picture for years to come. And they just landed the one thing they were missing, which was a top of the line starter. John Means had been their ace, and he's a really good pitcher, but he had been hampered by injuries a year ago. They kind of they they kind of stifled him a little bit, so bringing in Corbin Burns to pair with a hopefully healthy John Means is exactly what Baltimore needed, and and that's what Baltimore's GM said about the trade exactly what we needed. But the most impressive part about this, and I want to bring up a, a, a graphic, and I'll put it on the screen for you. Baseball America, which is the penultimate baseball magazine, now digitally on online had this to say about Mike Elias, uh, the Baltimore Orioles GM and, and what he did with in this trade, which was truly spectacular. It said the, the Orioles acquired an ace in Corbin Burns. They kept their five best prospects in the process. They, they, they entered the winter with the number one prospect and number one farm system. They won 101 games last year. And, Baseball America also mentioned that they named Mike Elias their executive of the year. So this is a team that's already on the cusp of doing something special. They were able to get Corbin Burns without giving up too much to do it. The biggest name going back in the trade is pitcher D.L. Hall. They kept all their young prospects. They still have Jackson Holiday. They still have Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson and all the good players that made a difference on the field for Baltimore a year ago. And like I said, they they will soon be adding Jackson Holiday to that mix. Now they add Corbin Burns. It's really scary for the rest of the American League that the Orioles just acquired Corbin Burns and gave up basically nothing to do it. So all eyes on Baltimore going into next season. Very, very excited about it. Before we jump into the NBA for the rest of the podcast, because I had made it I I had made a plan an outline for the episode and a certain NBA topic wasn't on it, but I thought more and more about it this week. And I thought about it a lot th- this morning before sitting down to record this podcast. So I, so it got added in. So the rest of the podcast is going to be about NBA. But before we do that, I want to mention something that I think is very worth talking about when asked this week about where his son ranks in the NFL all-time in the GOAT conversation. Patrick Mahomes Sr. said that what his son is doing is great, but, and these were his exact words, he's, he's, quote, got a long way to go. 
Patrick Mahomes Sr. said that he he has so much respect for Brady and he grew up idolizing Joe Montana and he doesn't believe that Patrick is to them yet. And I'd, I'd have to agree and I'd say, and I think Patrick Mahomes Sr. was applauded for being diplomatic and honest about it um, because we live in a world now where you see one one good thing happen, one good year, and you're like, oh, this is the next great player, blah, 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 blah. And Patrick Mahomes is absolutely – I am not knocking Patrick Mahomes in this segment at all. Patrick Mahomes is absolutely unbelievable. I think when it's all said and done, he will be in the GOAT conversation, if not the number one guy. But this is just year seven. Like – if we're lucky, he's not even halfway through. It's just year seven. If he wins on Sunday, and that's a big if, considering we don't know which version of the Kansas City receiving court is going to show up on Super Bowl Sunday, it'll be number three. And while that's great, three in five years, that's unbelievable. He still wouldn't be halfway to Brady. He wouldn't even be to Joe Montana to that point yet, who was 4-0 in Super Bowls. So I think we need to slow down a little bit. Patrick Mahomes is by far, I think, the most supremely talented quarterback that we've seen ever. But talent and greatness are two different things. So when you're talking about greatest of all time, nobody nobody should be taken into a greatest of all time conversation until their resume is complete because you're talking of all time, the number one of all time. Patrick Mahomes' resume, like I said, is just is still just getting started. This is year seven. Year seven in what's hopefully a 15, and if he's lucky like Tom Brady, 20-year career. But even with this victory, he wouldn't get to Joe Montana yet. He wouldn't get to Tom Brady yet. So we can't possibly, we can't possibly call Patrick Mahomes the greatest of all time when he's not even halfway to the previous greatest of all time, the undisputed greatest of all time, Tom Brady. And the other thing is that Patrick Mahomes, all told in his seven-year NFL career, has had it pretty easy. And one of the reasons that we love sports is adversity and fighting through the tough stuff. And this year was the first year where it was really tough for Patrick Mahomes. But he's never he's never played without Andy Reid. He's never played without Travis Kelsey. And both of those things are going to fall away pretty soon. It's it's very possible, whether it's likely or not is another thing, but it's very possible that if Kansas City wins on Sunday, both Andy Reid and, and Travis Kelsey could walk away. Now, Patrick Mahomes does what Tom Brady did very well. And I heard I heard this earlier today about about Joe Montana. Somebody had asked Deion Sanders, who was the toughest receiver you ever had to face? And immediately Deion's answer was our day was a little bit different because it wasn't all about Jerry Rice. He said, yes, Jerry Rice was great and Michael Irvin was great and all this stuff, but they had Hall of Famers throwing to them. They had Joe Montana and Troy Aikman and these guys throwing to them. So so if you covered Jerry Rice or covered Michael Irvin or covered Chris Carter or whoever, the great quarterback would immediately be like, okay, I'll just do my thing and make a great play over here with this guy. So it wasn't as much like the number one receiver. Yes, there are receivers that are tough to guard and this kind of thing. But the but the best quarterbacks, the Hall of Fame quarterbacks, could make anybody do anything. And Patrick Mahomes does that very well. Uh, we've seen this year he has had zero help in the receiving game other than Travis Kelsey, who has battled injury, who who has battled injuries and is getting a little bit older. So. It was a little bit tougher. He had to he had to deal with those guys, but but he Patrick Mahomes did his thing, and they did what they needed to do, and they're and they're in the Super Bowl again. 
and Tom Brady did that too, with the exception of, with the exception of Randy Moss in 2007, and and Gronk towards the end of his career. But with with tight ends, it's a little bit different because they don't have the same athleticism that some receivers do. Tom Brady, like I said, with the exception of Randy Moss, never really had that true number one, like, athletic freak of a wide receiver. He had Wes Welker, and he had Julian Edelman, who were slot receivers who were undersized, so they weren't going to go get the deep ball on anybody. And he had Gronk that could muscle you out of the way. But other than those guys, it was it was just a room full of dudes. And so Patrick Mahomes has had to do that this year and this kind of thing. But what I'm saying is the thing for a lot of people that put – Tom Brady over the top for good was the fact that he, because the big question when he left New England to go to Tampa was, was it Bill or was it him? Which one of them is going to have success, more success after? Was it Bill or was it him? And that answer was a resounding Tom Brady. And so when we look at Patrick Mahomes, who's again, only seven years in, I can't stress that enough. You can't name anybody the goat of anything after just seven years. Patrick Mahomes has not done it without Andy Reid, who had a whole other career before Patrick Mahomes. He hasn't done it without Travis Kelsey, who has been his true number one from the very beginning, maybe with the exception of Tyreek Hill in the early years. But but we saw the learning curve after Tyreek Hill left. And we saw the we, we saw the first true sign of adversity this year when they had a terrible group of receivers. So we really can't look at Patrick Mahomes and call him the GOAT until we see him without Andy Reid, without Travis Kelsey. Now, do I think he's going to have any problem adjusting? Not at all. Like I said, Patrick Mahomes is the most absurdly talented player we've ever seen, probably. But talent and greatness are two different things. Talent is in the present. Greatness is when you look back over all of it. And... Again, Patrick Mahomes is just halfway through, if that. So it's extremely difficult to to say, to have him in the go conversation at this point. He is well on his way. If if this trajectory keeps up, 100%. 100%. But we need to pump the brakes a little bit on a player that is in his prime, still doing it. We can't call him the greatest of all time of a sport that's been around for decades and decades and decades when Tom Brady exists with seven Super Bowls, when Joe Montana exists going 4-0. And and at this moment in time, until we see the result of Sunday's game, Patrick Mahomes has two. I it's 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 way too soon to be having that conversation about Patrick Mahomes. He's well on his way, but let's slow down a little bit. Alright, now we're gonna shift to the NBA for the rest of the podcast. And greatest of all time is going to be a theme today, so buckle up. But before we do that, Tyrese Halliburton of the Indiana Pacers came out this week in opposition of the NBA's new 65-game minimum in order to be eligible to be considered for NBA awards such as MVP and said, well, this is what the owners want, so this is what the owners are going to get, but I I think it's a stupid rule. I expect nothing less of the mod- from the modern NBA player than to say that. But look, and and it's a big point of emphasis and a big point of discussion now that Joel Embiid is injured, and we don't know yet the full extent of his injury. It didn't look great because he had already tweaked it in, 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 in a game earlier this week, and then somebody fell on it on his knee after that, and he was limping and all this sort of stuff. Joel Embiid... I think can only miss four four or five more games to qualify for the award and to this point in the year he's he 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 looks like the MVP front runner but if he misses more than a handful of more games he won't be eligible to do it I understand the idea of oh you want him to play through injury that's not that's not the point of the rule at all the point of the rule was to stop players and coaches and trainers from sitting healthy players on random Tuesday nights in January just because for the the whole idea was to stop 
teams from sitting healthy players. If you play a professional sport, and I've said this on the podcast before, if, if you play a professional sport and you are healthy, you need to be out there. If, if you are injured, if you are not healthy, by all means, sit. But it, it, was, even a, it was even a question before Joel Embiid got injured of he had missed a couple games and the NBA was curious because in some of those games he had an injury designation that did not appear on any of the pregame stuff until like the moment the game started. So it was like, are, are you following proper procedures? So teams and players are still trying to get around this. And that is exactly, that is exactly what the NBA was trying to do by enacting this rule, because we've seen time and time again, fans say things like, Oh, I saved up all my money to go to so-and-so a game this year to see this player. And I get there and they're not playing. And how tough that is for for fans who save their hard-earned money, who may only get a chance to go to one or two NBA games a year to see their favorite players. And if those players decide, if those players and coaches and teams decide arbitrarily that they're, that they're not going to play when healthy, that's what the NBA is trying to avoid. Nobody's blaming Joel Embiid for trying for for missing games when somebody fell on his knee or when he's limping off the court. That's not what it's, it's being taken out of context at this point because of the Joel Embiid thing. And because, Oh, Tyrese Halliburton um, isn't 100% because he wants to win the MVP and he, you know, whatever that right there, I think is the, is the problem with the modern NBA is that you're complaining about uh, a league minimum rule for, for MVP but you you want the MVP so bad that that's at the front of your mind instead of winning games. Joel Embiid's injury is the priority for the Philadelphia 76ers, and anybody in their right mind would tell you that. But we've seen healthy Joel Embiid sitting, and we've seen LeBron and AD sitting. We saw it the other night, and we saw Kawhi Leonard sitting a lot before this rule was enacted. A lot. And he said he said this year that he could play a eighty two. I don't think he has. I think he had a, a minor injury. But like this, this is what the NBA was trying to do: get the healthy players on the floor for the best possible competition. It has nothing to do with injury. Nobody's saying play through injury. But also, on the other side of that is that if you're looking at the league. The, the league year as a whole, if you're looking at the calendar of, of, of how the season plays out at the end of the year, and you're like, well, who should get the MVP? And it kind of points to the fact that that the MVP in, in professional American sports has become a popularity contest. If everybody's like, oh, if Joe LMP plays less than 65 games, he can't win the MVP. It's like, that's a significant amount of games to miss and be considered the MVP of a uh, of an entire league calendar year. Like, look at Jalen Brunson. Look at other players who their rules are in place for a reason, and this was a good rule. At the time it was enacted, there weren't a lot of people that would be like, oh, this is a stupid rule, because everybody understood the point of the rule was to counteract the sitting of healthy players that was hurting the product on the court. And so it had nothing to do with injuries. And if you're injured and you're thinking about your MVP candidacy, that's the wrong thing to be thinking about. Get healthy. Get back out there. So I don't think the 65-game rule is bad. I think it's great because if you go to a Warriors game and Steph's not playing because even though he's healthy, or you go to a Celtics game where Jason Tatum and... Jalen Brown are both sitting because they're healthier. You go to a Lakers game with no LeBron or AD. Honestly, who cares? And I know, I know the Lakers just beat the Celtics without LeBron and AD. I'll be honest, that's a fluke. Austin Reeves played out of his mind, and I specifically target Austin Reeves because if you go and look at the highlights of that game, that's the only name you ever heard. Austin Reeves, more than any other league in American professional sports. The NBA is run by its stars. And 
Never mind, never mind the fact that as a competitor at the highest level, your competitive drive is probably should be overriding anything else in your mind. So you should want to get out there if you're healthy. And we got NBA players making millions upon millions of dollars. Seems like there's a new highest paid player in NBA history every day who, thanks to, oh, the wear and tear of back-to-backs, you know, or, oh, you know, too many games, blah, 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 are playing twice a week. And multimillionaires playing twice a week. A game of basketball. A game that in grade school, in high school, in college, these same players had no problem playing Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of pickup pick basketball. And I know it's like you're comparing pickup basketball to NBA. That's ridiculous. Okay. Well, yes, the NBA is faster and more intense and the players are stronger and all this sort of stuff. But also, they're not playing in the 90s, which was a heck of a lot more physical. And those guys were still playing 82 games like i feel like saying oh the this this the game is harder now it's faster now blah 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 i feel like that's an excuse it's like this era of basketball players are just like just like i don't want to play we've seen kyrie irving be like i don't want to play tonight i'm not going to play you play twice a week you're traveling on charter jets to play twice a week because God forbid you play on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Friday. And with the new rules in the NBA, it's it's a heck of a lot less physical. Nobody's a lot more threes, so a lot less driving, a lot of a, a lot less physicality under the basket. Every rule is in place to avoid physical contact and intensity and and bumps and bruises in the NBA, and these people still are complaining about we're playing too much, we're playing too much, we're playing too much. I think that's a cop-out. I, I think that's an excuse. I think we don't have, and, and, and I'll get more into this in a minute, we don't have the guys anymore. LeBron's on his way out. Steph's on his way out. We don't have the guys anymore whose competitive drive overrides everything. And that's what it boils down to, is like guys like Michael and Kobe and LeBron had this I'm going to take on the world mentality and don't get in my way. Now it's just like, I don't feel like playing tonight. And I think it's an, I think players complaining about the 65 game rule is an excuse because they, they no longer have a way around their desire to not really play. I mean, season schedules are what they are because they're cut. They're meant to cover the same amount of time. Everybody complains like, oh, Major League Baseball plays 162 games. What the heck is that? It's too long. Or or NBA plays, oh, we play 82 games. That's too long. Or, you know, whatever. Every single league covers the same amount of time. And every single league has its set of games, ha- has its specific structure to fit that amount of time based on the way the game works. And... The NHL, which we don't talk a lot about on this podcast, because I admittedly, I like hockey, but I don't know as much about it, so I don't talk about it as much, has the same exact schedule as the NBA and requires the same kind of conditioning as the NBA and is a heck of a lot more physical than the NBA because the point of hockey is to be physical and hit and get into fights and score and go. It's everything the NBA is not right now. And and you don't hear a peep out of those guys. They understand that it is their job to show up every night and play every night that they are able and play. Nobody, nobody is saying that Joel Embiid should go out and play with this injury. No one. But the problem is people want to complain and they they find now Joel Embiid to be a valuable resource to back up their argument of we shouldn't ha- we shouldn't have to be required to play when we don't want to. Any time that Joel Embiid misses has nothing to do with his want to play. He's over seven feet, puts a lot of weight on that knee, on the on those ankles, that kind of stuff. He's hurt. 
sit. If it if it costs you if it costs you an MVP based on the rules that the NBA Players Association, the league, everyone agreed to in the new agreement, that sucks. But there are players out there who are playing at a high level who are maybe not winning any popularity contests in the NBA, but who are playing at a high level, who are putting up numbers as good as Joel Embiid's, who meet the requirement, who aren't in danger of not playing 65. Luke is an option. Jalen Brunson is playing his best basketball right now. There are other choices. If Joel Embiid can't meet the predetermined 65-game deadline because he's hurt, that's not his fault. That's not that's not a reason to say, oh, this 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 thing that's in the the rules that doesn't allow us to sit when we just don't want to play when we're completely healthy has nothing to do with Joel Embiid's injury. If he misses out on MVP because of it, that's too bad. But that those are the rules. Those are the rules in the league that you are contracted to play in. Emphasis on play. You are contracted to play as many games as you physically can. And so, no, I don't think it's a dumb rule. I think it's a great rule to ensure that there are a lot of things that the NBA does now, the modern era of the NBA, that I don't like, that I don't agree with. But this was one thing that I was like, this is the right move because it, it forces, maybe not the right word, but it, but it, it forces players who would otherwise sit because they played last night to play. What I, what I did want to mention before we move off the 65 game thing is that after the news of Joel Embiid's injury, like I said, a lot of people had stuff to say. One of those people was former NBA player Jamal Crawford had this to say. He said, players shouldn't have to risk themselves and their livelihood to say, I need to meet a quota to be eligible for this stuff. Okay, this stuff that he's talking about are the awards given out to the best performers of this for, for, of the season as a whole. Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, MVP. Those awards are given out, and if you don't want to, if you don't want to risk your livelihood for that, fine. But your livelihood is to go out there and to play. That is the thing for which you pay. You get paid millions of dollars to bounce a basketball. To go out there and play a playground game for a living for 10, 15, 20 years set for life. That is your livelihood. So doing their livelihood is, je is, is jeopardizing to their livelihood. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Again, people are using Joel Embiid's injury to make these arguments that have nothing to do with his injury. Because that comment and Tyrese Halliburton's comments aren't about injured players. Nobody's blaming injured players. But doesn't it stand to reason that if I'm looking at the league, league year as a whole and deciding who was the best player this year, who put up the best performance this year? Doesn't it stand to reason that I would look at the people that had the biggest sample size, that I that I maybe wouldn't give most valuable player to the player that missed 20 games, 30 games, half a season? If, if you want to be considered for the league's top prizes, you got to be there in its top moments. That, so, so that's all I wanted to say about that. The last thing I want to touch on, as I mentioned, um, this wasn't something that it w I was originally in my plan to talk about, but I saw it. I saw it discussed a few times this week. I, it, it, it popped up on my social media feed this week. And it's this argument. Is that should Kevin Durant be in the GOAT conversation? And I thought a lot about this. And like I had mentioned, I thought about it a lot right before I sat down to record this podcast. It's Saturday afternoon as, as we're doing so. And I would say right now, no. Kevin Durant himself had this to say 
He said, why shouldn't I be in that? What haven't I done? All right. What haven't I done? Statistically, Kevin Durant would it will absolutely be one of the best statistical players of all time. He's one of the he's one of the best scorers the game has ever seen. No one's denying that. He's got the two championships. Those are facts. The thing that keeps him out of the GOAT conversation for me, um, and I don't know if, it, if, if it's reversible at this point in his career, because he's definitely on the backside. I don't know if it's reversible at this point. Is that, like I said, numbers-wise, Absolutely. Um, I I don't know where he's going to finish in, in, in the scoring debate. It's very realistic that he's top five at the end of it all. But statistics, as far as the GOAT conversation, don't tell the whole story. It's not all about statistics. If it were, Kareem, the all-time leading scorer before LeBron James broke it recently, Bill Russell, the alt, the the best winner in NBA history, and Wilt Chamberlain, the guy that owns pretty much every single game record in the history of the league, would be in a lot more goat conversations, but they're not. Why aren't they? Well, you could say eras. You could you could use all sorts of metrics. You could say that that Bill Russell won all those championships when there were only eight teams in the league. You could say, oh, Kareem did that but he was one he he was as a center and a seven footer he was one dimensional he he had you know inside game and that was it you could say you know same thing about will chamberlain you know he had 100 points in a game not a lot of defense cherry picking was allowed that, those kind of things you could use all kinds of arguments but that shows you that numbers isn't the only factor in a goat conversation so what is? To me, and to a lot of people, mentality has a lot to do with it. Overall skill set has a lot to do with it. There are a lot of factors. And Kevin Durant has the skill set. His nicknames, I think uh, Slim Reaper, Easy Money Sniper, was his Twitter handle for a while. Those accurately describe him. He's a sniper, he's a shooter, he's a scorer, he can be deadly with the ball. But when you talk about certain players who are often in the GOAT conversation, if you ask anybody right now, top three players all time, the vast majority, in some order or another, We'll say Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kobe Bryant. Again, it could be titles, it could be points, it could be a lot of things. It could be the fact that LeBron's played in 10. It could be the fact that Kobe's won 5. It could be the fact that Michael's 6-0 and in, in finals. It could be the fact that Michael has a 30.1 career uh, scoring average. It could be the fact that LeBron James is the all-time leading scorer. It can be many things, but to me, one of the biggest factors is Kobe, Michael Jordan, and LeBron all have that, for lack of a better term, junkyard dog mentality that will let them, that will not let them take a back seat to anyone. They have this alpha dog, I'm going to beat you down and make you remember what happened mentality about them throughout their careers and Michael would push people and some some would say too much would would push people to be in yes he he punched Steve Kerr in the face at practice he he you know got into skirmishes with teammates 
Kobe Bryant never punched anybody, but he did the same thing. He'd get in your face. He'd, he'd curse you out and all that sort of stuff. And and we all know the image of LeBron screaming at J.R. Smith when J.R. Smith didn't take a potential game-winning shot at the end of game one of the 2018 NBA Finals. These players go all out for victory, and they will they push you to be better in their own way. They push you to be better. Like even if 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 you talk to some of my, some of Michael Jordan's teammates from back then, he said, "Oh yeah, he was hard on us, but we knew at the end of the day that he was just trying to make the team as a whole that much better by making us." better than we were the day before by whatever means he saw fit and when, when, when i look at kevin durant i think of one thing in relation to all of this and it's that the thing that sets kobe and mj and lebron apart is that their mentality tells them to fight adversity and not run from it and kevin durant has been has been running from it his entire career he he went to Golden State when they'd already won titles and won titles. He he went to Brooklyn with Kyrie and James Harden in 2019, and when Brooklyn had been 42 and 40 and and made the playoffs as the sixth seed the year before, and then he went to Phoenix, who had been in the NBA Finals two years before without him. And I know those that that because there are people out there who who make arguments against Michael Jordan, and you can tell it's those that never actually saw him, uh, and say. I think one argument that I think is widely overblown about Kevin Durant is that he's never done it by himself. That's the wording of that is is weird because nobody's ever done it by themselves. It's it's a team sport. You need a team full of guys that that have strengths that you don't. You need those guys. But Kevin Durant has literally had a second in command his whole career that is on his level. And the only time he didn't was his rookie year because Russ was drafted the next year. So he only played one year without Russ. And he ran from team to team chasing his own narrative of his own greatness. Part of what makes Kobe and MJ and, and LeBron great is how others speak about them. Whether it be adoration or fear born out of adoration people said they were afraid of michael jordan they were they were afraid to play michael jordan they were in awe of lebron and, and kobe and michael and this kind of thing. so the, it's the way others talk about you that cement your legacy it seems and, and, and i don't want to say this as fact but it seems as though kevin durant's biggest fan is kevin durant there's no denying Kevin Durant's physical gifts. But Kevin Durant, it can't be argued he does not have that same mental makeup that some of the other greats that we've talked about do. That, give me the ball, get out of my way, keep my head down and do my thing. Kevin Durant, early in his, early in his career, was described as a chihuahua. I'm not making that up. It's that he hears everything and he takes it personally. And I know one of the sayings that a lot of people like to attribute to Michael Jordan in, from the Last Dance documentary is, well, I took that personally. The difference is, I think it was, wasn't there a report that after Kevin Durant signed with the Warriors, he, he hid in his room for a couple of days? When Michael says, I took it personally, he means, I'm going to use the narrative that I just heard or that I'm, that I'm making up in my mind about you to kill you with and kevin durant was hiding from media two days after making the jump to the team that he knew would make him a villain he he couldn't handle it mentally he said i'm making this move because i want i want the easy championship don't come for me for saying easy championship he joined a championship team it is what it is and that team won after he left it is what it is he said i want the easy championship and i don't want to face the consequences so i'm going to hide immediately after making the decision and then 
he went to Brooklyn, teamed up with two, and I'll just say it, don't come for me, teamed up with two weak-minded superstars. Two other weak-minded superstars who hear everything, listen to everything, respond to everything, and also don't have that in them. It is what it is. Not everybody can be in the great in in the greatness conversation on the same level as Michael, LeBron, and Kobe. And there was a, there there was a period in 2019 where I thought Kawhi Leonard was going to be in that conversation as well because of the stories that we heard during his run in his one season in Toronto. The things he was doing in his game even reminded me a lot of Michael Jordan at that time. The stories we heard from former coaches of him of him finishing games and running immediately to the practice facility and staying in there till well after midnight for hours and hours and hours sounded a lot like Kobe Bryant. But when the game changed, Kawhi changed with it and became about resting. It became about load management. It became about less about that. Like it seemed in his time in Toronto that Kawhi had that in him. And that's kind of why I wanted him to stay in Toronto because I thought he could become what we hadn't seen since Kobe. And then the, then the league changed and Kawhi changed with it. And the way I look at that, and there's nothing wrong with changing with the league. It allows you to have longevity. It allows you to do these things. But the way I look at it, is the greatest players don't change with the game. They change the game. And it's like, oh, that's pretty. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you. There's a handful of players. Not everybody can be everything. And I feel like that's kind of where we are now in sports is that everybody wants to, you know, you want to say so-and-so is, is the greatest at this or that without having a handle on the history of it. I always tell people, I was like, like if, and this is what I was told as a kid, if, if, if you have a child, and, and this is what I intend to do when I have a child. And they come to you and they say, I'm interested in music. I'm interested in art. I'm interested in sports. I'm interested in whatever it is. The first thing I would tell them to do is don't become a product of your time. It's like if you love sports, if you love basketball, go study basketball before you. If you love art, go study the great painters. You love movies? Go watch Cary Grant and Humphrey Bogart, as well as The Rock and Robin Williams and people all throughout the history of the thing that you claim to love because the only way you're going to be great is to have respect for what came before you. If you look at Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan specifically, when asked if he thought he was the greatest of all time, he would always point to someone else. And when, and when Kobe was asked, he would always point to Michael. And... LeBron might now say, oh, I think I'm the greatest. Oh, that made me the greatest. I've given him a lot of crap about, oh, he's actively trying to chase Michael, and it is what it is, is that he's put up the numbers to be in that conversation, so it is what it is. But LeBron has, has mentioned in the past many, many times his desire and his drive to be better than Mike. And that's the that's what it was with Kobe. He He modeled everything he did after Michael Jordan. But when you look at the history of the NBA. There are a handful of players who actively changed the way the NBA looked for years after them. The first example that came to mind was Julius Irving. He made dunking cool. Style. You know, dunking was part of it, but it wasn't it wasn't a style. It wasn't it wasn't celebrated until Julius Irving showed up. Dr. J did his thing. Then, Magic Johnson. Passing was cool. Defense was cool. Magic Johnson had a swagger. It was cool. Then came Michael Jordan that brought athleticism and scoring and fashion and completely blew up the sneaker game Michael Jordan turned the NBA into a cultural touchstone. Fashion, music, movies. But on the court, Michael was like nothing we'd ever seen. He could do it all. Michael brought 
toughness. Michael brought intensity. Michael brought athleticism and scoring output the likes the league has never quite seen. Then you move to Shaq. Sheer physical dominance. Sheer dominance. We call him Superman. We call him Big Diesel. He would wreck you. Then we move to LeBron James, who came in the league at 6'8", 240. And I think when he first started playing, he, he was more of a two, a, a two or a three. And then he slowly transitioned. Now he plays more of a four, still a three, kind of a four. That's the way the league has moved. But LeBron said, you don't have to be one position. If, if you're big enough, if you're strong enough, if you're, if you're agile enough, you can do whatever a team needs you to do. He brought, LeBron brought positionless basketball. Then now we have Steph, who can shoot from anywhere. And the thing that Steph sets these people apart, because you could, you could probably pigeonhole any great player into anything, but the thing that sets these people apart is that these are the people that change the game in a way almost irreversibly that moved it forward and these are the players that players that come in the league after them actively try to do exactly what they did for the game and fail is that we've seen you know you watch an nba game now there are a heck of a lot of threes that are shot but there are a lot of those games where a lot, all those threes that are shot are missed because everybody's trying to be Steph Curry and can't do it. I, I think there are only two players in the NBA right now that can shoot with the success that Steph Curry shoots, and that's Damian Lillard and Trey Young. And I've said it for years. Everybody else pales in comparison, can't do what he does, tries to do what he does, and that's why the NBA in recent years has become a little more one-dimensional, and I think it kind of hurts the game. That's why there are less players kind of playing their own style and trying to do what Steph does. They, we, 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 we saw it with LeBron James. Everybody was, was, was moving positions around and, and all the sort of stuff. And people tried to be LeBron James. There are entire movies like Mike and Kobe Bryant admitted he modern, he, he modeled his game completely after Michael Jordan. And that's why Kobe is not on this list as, as even though I consider one of the top three players of all time is because he was a carbon copy of Michael Jordan and the most successful carbon copy we've ever seen. We all compared early Dwight Howard to Shaquille O'Neal. But we knew even then that like Dwight Howard was dominant, but he was not dominant the way that Shaq was dominant. Like there that the entire Hack-A-Shack movement is we need to find a way to stop this man. If we don't foul him before he gets to the rim, we cannot end him. That was the whole idea behind Hackashack. So it's these lists of five, six players that revolutionized the game. And not everyone can be revolutionary. Kevin Durant is not revolutionary. He is a product of LeBron James. It's just facts. It's just facts. He's a product of LeBron James. And I said earlier that the the greats don't run from adversity they fight it and, and before you come at me and you talk about well lebron james ran to miami or michael jordan retired twice well you don't call that running from the game he he literally left the game twice let's talk about it and people and 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 people like to knock michael jordan by saying oh he he retired because he knew that LeBron was coming. No, he retired because he was 40 years old and had two bad knees. Like, that's why he retired. It's not like he'd still be playing at 60 if he thought he could beat LeBron. Like, no, he was 40 years old. Get off it. It's not an argument. Those guys didn't run from their stuff. It's like, no. It's like, first of all, LeBron James. Let's start with him. And I've changed my tune on this in the last several years because I we gave him a lot of crap when he went to Miami. Everybody did. Um... But he spent seven years in Cleveland with an owner who at times actively seemed to be sabotaging the team's chances to win a championship. And 
all the pressure that was mounted. If you're told, if you're told at 15 that you're the next Michael Jordan, and then you spend your whole high school career hearing that from grown men and women in sports media. The next Michael Jordan is coming. The next Michael Jordan is coming. The next Michael Jordan is coming. And then the year that it's your turn, you happen to be drafted by your hometown team that has never had success in their franchise history. That the, that the greatest thing your team was known for up to the moment of your arrival was was Craig Elo being pushed out of the way on the Michael Jordan game winner in the playoffs. That's that's it. So all this pressure before you even, even enter the league, and then you enter the league to your hometown team who has no success. And then you go seven years with an owner that's not helping you out at all. That's doing everything he can to work against you. And you manage to get your team to the 2007 NBA Finals despite all of it and get swept by the dynastic team of the time, San Antonio Spurs. When it was time to leave, we all knew he was going to leave. It's not the leaving we had problems with. It's how we did it. But we all understood why he was leaving. He was leaving because he was fed up. And he was leaving because the pressure was mounting to an unreal degree about you'll never be Michael Jordan because it's year seven and you haven't won a championship. Let's step back for a minute and say it took Michael Jordan exactly that amount of time to win his first title because similarly and this is this is and i'll push and i'll get into this a little bit more in a minute when i talk about michael is that it's it's another bad argument about michael's legacy with pippen and and not winning for seven years and this kind of stuff i'll get to that in a minute but lebron james went to miami because he knew the pressure was mounting to start winning championships and it was the only way he saw he could do it. And he helped build the big three. Like before the team even happened, he 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 was talking to Dwayne Wade. And he was talking to originally Carmelo Anthony. The, the original idea was him and D. Wade and Carmelo Anthony in Chicago. And I don't think that would have been as successful because those three players were very, very similar. I, th I think they would have won. I think they probably would have won a championship, maybe. but it probably wouldn't have been as successful as Miami's was because they went and got Chris Bosh, who had a different skill set. And it's it's controversial, but I'm convinced that LeBron James left for Miami knowing full well that he'd come back to Cleveland when the contract was over because Cleveland went from a top team to a bottom feeder for three years while while LeBron James was winning championships in Miami. And those three number one picks they got turned into Kyrie Irving, Andrew Wiggins, and Anthony Bennett. And Andrew Wiggins and Anthony Bennett turned into the trade package that landed Kevin Love. So, so it is my opinion that LeBron James left for Miami knowing full well he'd be right back there in three years. Because I think LeBron James' basketball IQ and his forward thinking about the game is so high that he knew that's what he had to do if he was ever going to win in Cleveland, which he stated from day one was his only real goal in the NBA. That's all he wanted was to bring a championship to Cleveland. And that's why there were a heck of a lot of people in 2016 when he actually did it that kind of took a step back and been like, congratulations, this is your shining moment. You did you did the one thing that mattered to you more than anything else in this league. Congratulations. And I was one of those people that I was not a LeBron fan. I didn't like what he did in Miami. But the moment he won in 2016, it was like, that is awesome. Congratulations. This is your moment. LeBron James did what he had to do. He helped build it. He that's that was his greatness. To me, that that was one thing about his greatness is the ability to see ahead and map it out be like i'll be back but we got to get assets first he he played gm with cleveland when he went to miami that 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 is my opinion and then he did he he did what he came to do in in cleveland michael went seven years and like i said it's 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 an argument people like to use against him 
when they say, oh, LeBron was better. They went the exact same amount of time without the title before they started winning. For Michael, it wasn't because he needed Scottie Pippen. That is, like, when when you try to discredit Michael by using Scottie Pippen is silly to me. Because, yes, Scotty was helped kind of take the next step for the organization. But Scotty was drafted only three years after Michael. And when Michael went to Chicago, Chicago was a mess. It Like, it was a circus. Go watch Last Dance. All those players cared about that were there when Michael showed up was it, it was a cocaine party. It was. Like, they, they were terrible. They had a, the third pick in the draft for a reason. You don't, a team doesn't go from first pick in the draft to champions overnight. And in this instant gratification society we live in, we seem to forget that when we talk about the NBA. It's like, yes, they got Scotty and Scotty helped a lot. And yes, they got Horace Grant and Horace Grant helped a lot. But those players were drafted and brought in. And, and Dennis Rodman was traded for after the first three-peat. Like, that's the way basketball works. Kevin Durant kept jumping from best to best to best. Kobe Bryant never left even when things got difficult, even though he threatened to one time because things he, he threatened to, but he never really intended to. So there's these players that, that changed the game. M- Michael, LeBron, and Kobe were among them. It's like, it, it just is what it is. Kevin Durant just isn't the same as the players that we often consider to be the greatest of all time. And like I said, I mentioned, oh, didn't didn't Michael and them run? It's like LeBron never ran because the pressure was mounting. He did what he had to do. Michael Jordan retired twice, yes. One was because you try having your father, who was your best friend, die and then get blamed for it and and stick around like he and, he and he didn't leave because he he couldn't handle being blamed for it he left because his father preferred baseball and he wanted to honor his father for you know the year plus that he went and played baseball he didn't run from anything stop stop with that with that conspiracy theory that he ran because his actual his quote-unquote retirement was a suspension from david Stern. no he went to play baseball because it's what his father would have wanted, and he was he was grieving his father, and going to play baseball was the way he knew how to do it. But then quickly, when baseball wasn't an option because of the lockout in 95, he said, wait a minute. His competitive drive, he had to work out, he had to do something, so he went, he went to Bulls practice, and he said, wait a minute, I still love this. He didn't run. He took a different path. He didn't run. He, Michael Jordan never ran from anything. So the second retirement was being 38, thinking he was done because he didn't he didn't want to play for anybody but Chicago. Then he had an opportunity later, and he still came back for a couple of years, played 80-plus games, scored 20 points at 40 with two bad knees. Like, can we stop crapping on Michael Jordan's time with the Wizards? He was still Michael Jordan. People People like to forget that as well. They didn't run. Kobe, Michael, LeBron, they didn't run. You can twist it into the fact that they did. But they fought through adversity. We've all seen the images, the lasting images of Michael. We've seen Kobe pumping his chest. We've seen the the classic LeBron stare down when he was with Miami. One of the bone-chillingest images in NBA history, if you ask me. The great players don't run. They don't run away. They push you to be better. I don't think Kevin Durant can push anybody but Kevin Durant. He's chased top contenders trying to win championships. And you can come for me saying he should absolutely be in the GO conversation. Statistically, yes. Statistically, Kevin Durant is one of the best offensive players we've ever seen. But mentally, in an era of basketball that is less physical, less committed, softer, he can't hack it. He asks for trades. He takes games off. This is an era now where, and this is why I don't think we're going to see a player like this for a while, this is an era now where if a rookie 
if a if a rookie top pick comes onto a team and misses the playoffs, they're asking for a trade after one year. It's like I get to the point where you get to the NBA, you're probably the top guy your whole life. But the reason that we as a society love sports, like I mentioned, is the adversity. One of the reasons why a lot of people thought that this was Nick Saban's, that Nick Saban's last coaching job was his best coaching job was because this was not the, not the team where it was clear that they were the best team in college football. A lot of other Alabama teams, they were number one through and through. And this team had issues at the beginning of the year. And they fought through it, and they got to the playoff. Whether you believe they should have been or not, they got to the playoff. And a lot of people step back and be like, you know what, with what Nick Saban had to do, that was brilliant. And if Andy Reid wins the Super Bowl with this Chiefs team, they'll probably say the same thing about that because of all because of all the issues, because of all the penalties, because of all the receiver stuff. Adversity is what makes it worth it. One of the reasons that I don't like repeat champions in sports and dynastic behavior in sports is not because I don't think the franchise deserves it or or because I don't like the team that it is. I've been very vocal on this podcast about being a lifelong Alabama fan, even before they had Nick Saban. And I enjoyed them winning titles as much as the next guy. But when Clemson beat him, I was fine. When Georgia beat him, I was fine with it. Because the thing that makes the mountaintop so good is the climb that it took to get there. Is the work that it took to get there. When the Atlanta Braves won the World Series, it was more meaningful to me for them to beat the Dodgers in the NLCS than to beat the Houston Astros in the World Series. After we beat the Dodgers, and even looking back on it two years later, three years later, that we won that day. The day, the Braves won the day they beat the Dodgers. Because that was the dragon they hadn't yet slain. The mountaintop is great, but it doesn't mean as much without the journey, without the down years, without the struggle. And that's why Michael's first title meant something. That's why his first title after his father meant something. That's why that's why LeBron's most likely meaningful trophy was 2016. That's why after the Warriors won in 2022, we said this is probably their most meaningful win because it was the win they weren't supposed to get. They had injuries, and Clay was out, and Steph missed a lot of time, and Draymond had to carry them by himself, and then Clay came back, and Steph came back, and they made the play-in, and they got to the play-in, and they got to the finals, and they won the thing. It was the one they weren't supposed to win. It was the hardest. We talk about Dirk Nowitzki's final run in 2011 being one of the hardest ever in a sport, and that's because he had to run through Kobe Bryant and Kevin Durant and LeBron James to get it. He didn't ask for a trade to go join the Miami Heat when he saw that that was going to be his path. He worked through it. He, he and his team had the mental toughness to fight it. Kevin Durant said, it's Russell Westbrook or it's me. And he left. And he joined the Dragon of the League. And then when he had problems with Draymond Green, he left. And then he went to Brooklyn, and when he had problems with, with Kyrie and, and James Harden, he left. And if Bradley Beal and Devin Booker aren't able to stay healthy during, during his course with the Suns, is he going to leave again? Kevin Durant doesn't have the fortitude. And I think if Kevin Durant hadn't won those champions, I've said it before, and it is a wildly controversial statement, but I'll say it here again. If Kevin Durant doesn't win those two titles with the Warriors, who, again, didn't need him. They, the 73-9 and best record in NBA history Warriors were the year before Kevin Durant. They didn't need him to do that. They didn't need him for any of it. If Kevin Durant doesn't win those two titles 
with Golden State. We talk about him in the same breath that we do Carmelo Anthony. Kevin Durant is Carmelo Anthony with titles. An insanely talented offensive player. And we're iffy on if we like him or not. Because of his decision making. And, and these other kind of things. Kevin Durant is Carmelo Anthony with championships. Those championships. He jumped on the ski lift when it was already at the top of the mountain. I'm not discrediting Kevin Durant's titles. He has the titles. You can't take them away from him. But when you look at Michael, when you look at LeBron, they took teams that started from somewhere else to championships. Yes, Kobe Bryant was was a Laker for life. And the Lakers have had had sustained success throughout his career. But there were low moments for Kobe Bryant, and he could have chosen to leave. And he didn't. LeBron James came up short in Cleveland the first time. But he came back. Michael, it took Michael Jordan seven years, but he never wavered. And they built around him. And they won six championships. Which is still the moment for the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are not a well-run franchise. It's like, yes, they, they, they had another glimpse where they had Jimmy Butler and Joe Kim Noah and Derrick Rose when Derrick Rose won MVP. But injuries took them out, and they couldn't get over the hump. So in the long history of the Chicago Bulls, that's it. Michael Jordan is the history of the Chicago Bulls because without those championships and without the few good playoff runs of Derrick Rose, Chicago's got nothing. Kevin Durant jumps from good team to good team, hoping to cement a legacy that might already be, be irrevocably tarnished by those exact moves. So to me, no, he's not in the, in the GOAT conversation because the GOAT conversation has other levels to it that Kevin Durant, at this point in his career, can't reach. That's all the time I have for you. This has been Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro. We are one week away from the Super Bowl. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel this week to see our simulation and see what is going to happen with the, the Super Bowl because you might be like, oh, it's a Madden simulation. Who cares? It's not real, whatever. But might I remind you, if you go back and look at our NFC Championship game, Madden basically predicted exactly what happened. Detroit jumped out to a huge halftime lead, and San Francisco came back, and the, and the second half was all San Francisco. So Madden got that one right, and Madden got the AFC Championship game right too, just not the, I think the I, the score was wildly off. I think the score in, in Madden was 52-45, but uh, Madden's been right so far. So don't forget to, to keep an eye on our YouTube channel this week. For the prediction of the big game, we have a lot of other great content on there. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I, again, am Roman Gennaro, host of Empire Sports Talk. It's a good day to go 1-0, and I'll see you next time.